Hello again, Pastor Deborah for Copy Love, Love is Here Ministries. And this is Series 2 of Mental Health and the Forever Person. In the first series, which had seven episodes, we talked about a math, a new math, called 1 plus 1 plus 1. This series, which is beginning uh, today, and I'll have many different episodes in it, is entitled The Three Realms. This is going to be a little introduction into these episodes that are coming. Oh my goodness, I got started a little bit early. <laughs> People are still finding their seats. Okay. Oh my goodness, got a lot of people here today from all over the world because the videos are starting to get known and some of my stories, they're incredible, are starting to be heard because they have been silent for many, many years. But this new series, of both the webcams and the podcast, Mental Health and the Forever Person. This new series, like I said, is entitled The Three Realms. In these episodes, which will be quite a few, we're going to dig a little deeper into ourselves. And the three realms that our mental health and our forever person live in. The first realm, which many of us are very aware of, is called the realm of the natural, the physical body, the temporary realm. The realm that we can see out here, when you look at people, that's what we see. So that's going to be the first realm. And I'm going to break it up into several episodes to go through it. And then talk about the professions that deal with mental health. Some of the history of mental health. And some of the different uh, terminology and definitions because it's very real vital for you in your learning to understand terms and definitions. Most of us don't know what this people are talking to us, the doctors or our therapists in the mental health world. They sort of know. Uh, not a lot of people have a lot of history of it. We're getting it in bits and pieces uh, all over. A lot of wonderful sayings on LinkedIn, a lot of posts. A lot of people are trying so hard to encourage us and give us words and give us some life skills and life coaching to help us. But it's hard when you only have so many nanoseconds on LinkedIn for a post. Or you go to your therapist or your psychiatrist or your primary care physician, and they're under a lot of time pressure, and they got to sort of move us in and move us out. So we're going to talk about in the first set of episodes that area of the three realms. The second realm will be the realm of your soul, which, as I have taught you before, has a conscious awareness part and a subconscious part. And we're going to talk about precepts and concepts and beliefs and thoughts and your mind and pictures and your five senses and how all of that is more intricately involved in your mental health. It should be pretty exciting if you've never studied it. Then the third realm is the realm of the spirit. It is the realm that the forever person lives in. 
Now, a lot of people know about it. I see them all the time in that realm. It's not a spooky realm. But some people make it very spooky. And it is very, it's very much with us here on planet Earth. It has good stuff and bad stuff in it. That is where our forever person lives. And I'm going to go into a little bit more detail about the forever person. And how he is related to and how he is affected by and how the world, the realm of the natural, the physical body, and the soul affect it. So that all three realms are involved in mental health. And they're all involved in the healing part of it. And so I wanted to just give you this introduction before I get started with episode one. So you'll be aware of what's coming. There'll be lots of different episodes. You know me, I like to talk a lot. And I have a lot of people listening, and they're here with us now. And so I just wanted to let you know, welcome again to a new series of Mental Health and the Forever Person, The Three Realms. It will be up on the webcam, on YouTube, on the website, www.godbelovedishere.org. It will be put on the podcast of Mental Health and the Forever Person, which you can get to from the website. And I will also podcast it on out, and uh, so you can listen to it wherever you are. And uh, so this is real vital because the world and all of humanity are dealing with the mental health and the forever person. Those two realms are connected. They are on planet Earth. And we have so many issues, and everybody, every nation, every organization, the UN, every loving faith-based person, every loving faith base for every religion, everybody's trying to solve these problems. So I'm trying to come in and just give you some basic information that when you're out there and you're trying to get healed or find a proper uh, person to help you, that you'll have a little bit of information that you can ask some intelligent questions. You can research all this out. Love, it's on YouTube. It's out on the Internet, Wikipedia. So you become an informed person. So you can know how to find the healing that you need. And a little bit more about the mental health and the forever person. So this is the introduction to the new series of mental health and the forever person, the three realms. And they are, again, that's right, the natural realm, which includes the physical body, that is correct, and the mental, emotional realm, that is correct, that deals with the soul, its conscious, and its subconscious, and the realm of the spirit. Yay! That's right. So we're going to be going into those in more detail. I can't take you right there, jump you off and throw you into the deep end of the pool where I live most of the time because it takes a lot of work to get there. you got to learn to swim. you got to learn to bob your head under the water, hold your breath, uh, all kinds of things before you can get a lot of realizations of what's going on. But welcome. I hope to get this up today as quick as I can. I am multitasking. Tomorrow, which is Saturday and Sunday, I will be in two days of training on suicide prevention and support group for the community. Uh, one of the people that's learning how to uh, help them. Because it's suicide. It's in every place. It's ever, even in the jails and the prisons. 
We just heard about a big case about that one uh, right here in America. So is suicide real? Yes. Is it happening to every na- in every nation and every culture? Yes. Is it happening to every profession, men, boy, children? Yes. I have known five-year-old kids tried to kill themselves. No, you don't. They come out of heavy-duty abuse, they will. So this is the introduction, the three rounds. I hope you enjoy it and hope you come back. Love always and forever, Pastor Deborah. Look at the board, bank your notes, get you a new notebook or tablet or whatever you use, and make the notes. See you in a bit. Hello, Pastor Deborah here again, and this is Mental Health and the Forever Person, Series 2, entitled The Three Realms, and I believe this is Episode 6, I believe, and We are going to talk a little bit more about the realm of the soul, the realm where the psychiatrists are looking, the psychologists are testing and looking at, the mental health counselors are looking at, talking to, exploring, trying to understand more of this something they call our personality. Oh, excuse me. I have some people coming in. They're filtering in. They forget that after the flea market, I do some webcamming. Okay. Now, what is our personality? This is one of the areas that psychiatry and the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, looks at to determine if we have a mental health disease, illness, disorder, is our personality. Now, what is our personality? How is it developed? How do the psychologists and psychiatrists and mental health counselors and professional counselors and life coaches and mentors and all the people that try to help people through their uh, journey of illness, excuse me, journey of wellness and healing, how do we know what is our base, our normal? Where are we trying to get to? When many of us had experiences as little children, our personality was beginning to be developed. It came through our five senses. It came through our feelings of what we saw, what we touched, what we experienced. It was being developed through words, pictures, sounds, our environment, peaceful, not peaceful. Our development was slowly occurring day by day. Our little eyes were watching and listening. We were watching people all around us. 
to see what to do. And in the process, that's our personality was being developed. Words were coming in, songs, likes. We were watching as little children who could not speak yet what big people did. We don't even know what people is. So we were developing in our family, in our culture, in our faith. We were developing through the babysitters, our brothers and sisters. Everything was used to help form and develop a personality within each individual in the soul. And the soul was getting all of that through its senses, its eye gate, hearing, touching and feeling with its hands, tasting, checking things out with its tongue, smelling with its nose. Everything is going in. Things are happening inside up here, biologically. Chemicals are being created. Light is going back and forth. Communication is happening. Cells are duplicating, growing, getting stronger, building more of them. All of this within our first year. So how does a psychiatrist determine and know what is a normal healthy personality. What guidelines or norms is he using to look at us to determine whether we have a mental health issue, disorder, in our personality or we're just sort of having a moment and we will regain our equilibrium, so to speak, and get through something. When does something in our personality that he can ask our soul about become a disease, a disorder, an illness? Did we contribute anything to that? Did our genetics contribute anything to us to help develop our personality? Were hormones, adrenaline, dopamine, serotonin, cortisol, our diet, our environment in our home, were all of these factors in developing our personality? Were they contributing factors to our development of our personality? What makes a child one child quiet and one child very curious. What makes one child just sit and never crawl but get up and walk? What makes one child want to climb out of the, their playpen and another just sit there till they're lifted? Is that our personality? Is something going on up here that's different in each child? Can we see a personality being developed right then and there where one desires to get out of the playpen and another just sits? 
how does our family contribute to our development of our personality that the psychiatrists are having to look at? How about our early childhood education, our culture, what is normal for our culture? How does your skin color, your gender or your sex play into developing your personality? What are some of the factors and the values and the traditions of your family, your neighborhood, your community? Do they all play a part in developing your personality? What books you read, if you're even read books? What about now the cell phones? Do any of the cell microwaves that are coming from the phone, when the baby holds it up, does any of that affect the biological brain? What happens if you're in a family? It's very loud. Music is loud. Television is loud. People's voices are loud. There's lots of screaming. Maybe it's happy screaming and yelling, but it's loud. How does that develop a personality? Sounds are going in. What happens if you are living in a very toxic, frightening, abusive environment? Does that have anything to do with developing your personality? What about your faith? What you're told in uh, your many different ways by your family, by your friends, does that play an important part in developing this personality that the psychiatrist is looking at, the psychologist is looking at, the mental health counselors, the social workers. They're trying to figure out what brought you to the hospital. Why did you try to commit suicide? What in your personality doesn't have any hope? Why could you be rich and still commit suicide like Kate Spade? What about Anthony Bourbain? Wonderful chef. Why? What was in his personality? What about when you have children who are abused? They grow up and abuse other children. What's in the personality? What caused that? Does experience provide a foundation for the personality? What in the biochemical brain? How were these this personality stored? Is the personality made up of your feelings, your moods? Well, what causes you to have feelings? I was watching some cute little videos on LinkedIn, some baby posts, and how they were responding to electronic devices televisions, phone, remotes. And they were all looking with their eyes, listening with their ears, and they were responding. So the five senses and our feelings and emotions seem to be connected. 
even at a very early age. When a little baby has nothing, doesn't know much, and all he has is a set of eyes to look at something, a parent, a little mobile over his head that moves around, <coughs> the eyes are bringing in detail. The eyes are talking to the brain. Is that developing the personality? When the baby hears little chimes and stories, lullabies, is that developing the personality? What are these things doing inside our brain to develop our personality? These are the things that our psychologists, our psychiatrists, and medical research are trying to figure out. They do a lot of testing with a lot of animals and a lot of people to try to figure this out. Over the years, there have been many different questions and trying to solve so many problems, trying to find out what the cause is. But one of the things in modern times that a psychiatrist, psychologist, licensed counselor will look at is a set of norms that have been designed by the American Psychiatric Association in connection with the World Health Organization, a set of numbers, diagnosis numbers, so they can talk to each other. Because in the medical community, they talk through numbers. Cancer of the kidneys has a certain number. Uh, diabetes has a certain number. And these numbers are all correlated to the insurance companies in numbers. And the numbers either mean a certain spot, a certain way, how many months. So they're talking through numbers. And they're talking to each other. So when it comes to mental health and the forever person, right now we're just talking about the soul part of us. The part that is defined as our personality. Now Freud came along and he said in that soul... There was a conscious awareness. It's aware most of the time until it goes to sleep. Then that part is resting. But there was a deep subconscious part of us. And in many of your faith and religious texts, it's called the hidden person of the heart. He is down here. I've taught you that before. And he is the one that is receiving through the consciousness all of the signals the words, the sounds, the smells, everything that the five senses and the body is bringing into it. He is the one that is receiving it, or she. That is the one that psychiatry, mental health counseling, psych is trying to contact, reach, talk to, learn about, discover what's happened to it. How is it feeling? Uh, what is it angry at? It's trying to find out all of its range of emotions. Now, what is a normal range of our emotions, our feelings? We all get angry at things. Is there a point when we get angry that it's not normal? When does a anger become a disease? But then does it proceed on and become criminal? What about being sad at the loss of something? When does sadness go into an unhealthy depression? And then when does hope leave that this depression will lift 
And if it doesn't lift, when does this sadness that's become depression go into suicide to get out of the pain and the weight of the depression? So there is a whole line of our emotions. Just like when we go to the doctor's office, a lot of us look at these pictures on the wall. They want to know our level of pain. There are levels and gradients of our emotions. Sometimes, oh boy, we all lose it. And we all say things we shouldn't. We have to apologize. Sometimes we get caught with our britches down doing things. We're embarrassed. We're humiliated. How does all that work? How is that all connected to the biological body, to the brain, to mental health, to any illnesses and diseases and disorders? Now, what they're trying to figure out right now is, is any of this genetic? Has it been passed on through the genes of the parents? And there's nothing you can do. And there's no hope for any cure. Uh, I was just invited by a wonderful group of people out in California to be a keynote speaker up in Toronto next year. I'm hoping to get to go. And the, uh, I not go, excuse me, but send a video. But there's some strange things with that one. But the conference was going to be with psychiatrists, therapists, nurses, and researchers. They were looking at something called positive psychology and psychiatry. I did not know what that was. So I had to look it up. What it means is psychiatry and psychology are starting to realize they need to give their clients and patients and family members some kind of hope, some kind of encouragement. Typically when you listen to people talking of family, they will sort of regurgitate to us what their psychiatrist, the therapist, the mental health counselors are saying. Whatever your problem is, there's no cure. There is no healing. It's genetic. It does not have anything to do with your morals, your culture, your parenting, your environment. Your decision-making, your concept, none of that is involved. It's a genetic problem. Can't fix it. Just learn to manage it. Take your medicine. Go through the days the best you can. That's pretty much what they tell us. Now, if you go to a different doctor and say you have cancer, and I'll use MD Anderson on the TV. Somebody said they got diagnosed with some level of cancer and went to the MD Anderson Clinic. They got every doctor, 10,000 people, nurses, nutritionists. They went to war and battle against that disease and illness. And they were going to fight it together. And they were going to eradicate it and win. Now, that attitude is so different and so filled with hope and positive and wellness and healing and good things. We're a team. We're going to do this together. 
We're going to pull in nutrition. We're going to pull in therapy. We're going to pull in support groups. We're going to pull in everything we know to fight this disease. Now, that does not sound like a psychiatrist or a mental health counselor or even a life coach or a psychologist. They go, no cure. Take your medicine. Live with it. No cure. No help. When you have problems, go to the hospital. Get in a psych ward. We'll medicate you. Go home. Now, there's something wrong with that. If a cancer doctor can say, we are going to pull together every ounce of therapy, cancer treatment, 10,000 people, we're going to fight this, we're going to be in it together, we're positive, we're full of hope. And a psychiatrist and a psychologist and a researcher says, no, no hope. It's pure genetics. There's nothing you can do to change it. There's no help for you. There's no wellness for you. You will always have it. Something is wrong with that. So I think they're starting, the psychiatrists and psychologists, a lot of your mental health counselors, are starting to find out that these people with these disorders are starting to say, that is not right. You are not giving us any positive encouragement, any hope. You are not giving us anything to fight for. You're not even on our team. I'll see you once every three months. Come back in two weeks. Can't even call you after five o'clock. There's no hugs. There's no love. And I'm stuck with this. So a lot of the survivors, I just went to a survivor group that's forming on suicide. And back in the 70s, psychiatry dominated the field of psychiatry and mental illness and institutions and insane asylums. And it was horrible. And the survivors started saying, where's my encouragement? Where's my hope? Where's my positive? Help me to fight. So you know what happened? The survivors rose up on their own. They said, we will support each other. When I go to NASCA, the National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse, they are supporting each other in their recovery, whatever way they need to get there. They don't shut out any form, any way. And they decide we're going to help each other. Some of us, we are older. We have been down the road. We are going to have it on Facebook. We're going to have group discussions, radio things. We're going to talk. We're going to help each other. And we're going to tell our story about our lives. And in telling our story, we get some healing. And we bring in Pastor Deborah once a month, and she's going to talk to us about the spiritual part. And how does that fit in? And answer some questions about religion and faith. So a lot of people have been sexually abused by the religious community. So what's happening? This uh, Toronto conference, hope I get to send a video up. They have realized we need to start giving hope to people. But as long as they keep telling the patients, it is only biological, genetic. There's no cure. You're never going to get healed. There's no support groups for it. 
They have no contact. They do not hug you, do not love you. I told one psychologist, they can't. We need to speak our message. But no, you need to tell the people, I'm with you. I love you. You are valuable. We will get through this together. Because agape love is the healer. Caring and being with supportive people is the healer. But as long as that medical community and psychologist are telling us, it's only genetics. There's no hope. No cure. And they leave the families to themselves. Not enough psychiatric beds. But over in the cancer area, they will do everything. They'll get dietitians in there. Exercise people. If you have a heart problem, they're going to get you in rehab. Where's the rehab for? Somebody with a mental illness and depression. Going to the gym. Nutritionists. Where's the family therapy? Where's the education classes in the psychiatric hospital? There aren't any. So psychiatry is starting to say they need to change their message. They need to bring hope and positive encouragement. And that's what this conference is going to be about. I do hope I get to send a a video up there. I'm uh, not sure if I will, but if I can, I'll be a keynote speaker. Because let me tell you something. Survivors want to live. They will take it upon themselves. They will find a way. They'll beat the odds. And they will prove to that community there is healing. And you wait till somebody comes along and believes there's healing. And even if you have a genetic problem, genes can be changed. We see that. Why don't they go in and do some things like they do with cancer? If it's genetic. So that's about that conference. Being a keynote speaker, they may not want me there, but my message to everybody is always very positive. Agape love, hope, encouragement must be a part of the mental health world. Those psychiatrists and psychologists and mental health counselors and life coach must be available after 5 o'clock. They must be able to hug their patients, tell them they're loved, they're valued, and become a human being connecting to another human being. Cancer doctors hug somebody. The nurses hug somebody. They got people going into neo, little NICU units of babies, volunteering to rock the babies. Why? Connection. Loving stimulates the mind. Looking into somebody's eyes, that personality feels love and safe and nurtured. Psychiatrists are having problems. They're stuck in science. And then the psychologists are stuck there too. And they want to be professional. They're smart people. Like I told this one, they believe they're not getting their message across to get people help. And they get involved in the system too late when the person has already gone back to school and killed a bunch of people. And then they go, ding dong, he had mental health problems. 
Where were the psychologists and psychiatrists? Well, the parents wouldn't let them. Huh? We have a mess. Not enough beds, not enough money. The insurance companies aren't with it. The senators aren't with it. The congressmen aren't with it. But it's all over the world. No matter what nation you're in, kingdom, what color your skin, what gender, no gender, it doesn't matter. There are mental health issues. Biological bodies involved. The soul, the personality is involved. So this conference... Well, it's going to be about positive psychiatry. So I hope I get to go and be a keynote speaker. Uh, there's a few little details that had to be worked out and very interesting, but that's another story. So, in this episode, we're trying to find what is our personality that the psychiatrist, the psychologist, the so- they're all going to look at that. I'm going to use an example of an anorexia. When somebody's having an issue with their body, they look in a mirror. They do not see with their natural eyes what we see. They could be just skin and bones, and we see that. We weigh them, we see that. But when they look in the mirror, their eyes, their biological eyes, And their personality, their brain, does not see themselves. They see themselves overweight because of food. Now, we have a perception problem in the brain. What's causing that? Their biological eyes have 20-20 vision. They're looking out. They see the picture of themselves in the mirror. Comes into the eyes. What happens in the brain? That causes that picture to change. For them to perceive, understand, and develop a belief that they are overweight. When the truth, the reality is, they are skin and bones. There is something going on up here. Some chemicals are not firing right. The personality. What happened So psychiatry is trying to find out where the areas of the personality are having troubles. The person is trying to help us. They tell us the best they can how they feel. They may not know why they feel the way they do, but that's how they feel. And psychiatry is struggling right now. These are wonderful people who care about sick people. They have been around the world since day one, trying to find out what is wrong up here. Where is the disease? They know something's not right in some people. They don't know why. They don't know how. They've tried everything. But they haven't tried positive messages, words of hope and encouragement. You don't see them outside your offices. You don't see them outside the hospitals. You don't see them on community groups. 
And when they get in one, I've been in these community discussions. And somebody stands up and says, my son has addiction problems and he really needs more faith and he has some problems. And then psychiatry stands up and says, sir, I, I, I know how you feel. But this is a genetic disease and there's no cure. All your hopes and more faith is not going to cure it. Out in the open in the community, shut down, no hope, no wellness, no healing, no recovery. Boom. So, what do you think is going to happen? People aren't going to go to those kind of people. Psychiatry is not giving people hope. It is not solving a problem. It's just medicating and locking them down with medication. That's all they're doing. Now, is there a chemical imbalance? Probably. We all got it. Hey, you drink too much Coke, too much salt, too much sugar, too much alcohol. You don't have a chemical imbalance up here. You do drugs, chemical imbalance. Not enough water, you don't have a chemical imbalance. That is, smoke cigarettes, could have a brain aneurysm. Okay. Possibility for anybody. But they give us no hope. They just give you medication. See you in three months. And all they really want to know is, have those delusional thoughts, or those voices, have they stopped? Are you sleeping okay? Do you seem to be more full of life now? I ain't done anything. I'm just recommending. I'll see you in the hospital. And I'll sign your papers if I need to commit you. Okay? And I'll adjust your medication because I believe that's how we're going to solve this problem. So, in this conference, it was going to be about positive. Psychiatry and psychology. Maybe they're coming on a new dawn or something. Hope and encouragement and love. Those three factors together can bring healing. It can do powerful stuff. We've seen people overcome some of the worst odds you would ever expect and have the happiest and not have any mental health issues. Some people are born with no arms and no legs. And because their parents were strong in a faith, they came out okay. Wasn't easy. But they are not mentally ill. Other people go through horrible accidents, shark attacks, car wrecks, military. And because of their family, not the psychiatrist, not the therapist, but the family loving them, Helping them through it. Neighbors and friends and their faith community. This person keeps on going. And the buddies that go with them. Psychiatrists don't have anything to do with that. Neither does the therapist because they ain't there all the time. But the community is. That's what NASCA has found out. We're going to build our own community. We're going to do our own support groups. We'll heal each other. AA has proven that, the 12 steps, 
You get in there with some people that have traveled in front of you. They support you. They help you. They hug you. They love you. They're with you. If you need a phone call, you need to have them come over at 1 o'clock in the morning because you're losing it. They be there. Your psychiatrist won't. Your mental health counselor won't. Your licensed professional counselor won't. Your social worker won't. They'll tell you to call 911 and go to the hospital. But a loving, supportive, encouraging, hope-filled person will be there. And it's hard for these psychiatrists. Hope We may not be able to get to all of the older ones, but maybe the newer generation. So in this realm of the soul, we are dealing with emotions and feelings, the development of a personality, the, how it gets formed, how it is formed in a toxic situation, what do circumstances do to it, what does abuse do to it, what do loud noises do to it, what does neglect and abandonment by the parents do to it, what does physical uh, beatings do to it, what does having not having enough food do with it, always living, waiting for a bomb to drop, what does that have to do with it? I think there's a lot more going on besides genes. Not saying it isn't. I think there's a lot more. A lot more from our family, our culture, our faith, our nation, what we value, what we don't value, how loud our homes are, how quiet our homes are, what kind of respect we have for each family member. Whether somebody knows how to be a parent before they become a parent, lack of education, lack of knowledge, throw in some drugs, throw in some abuse, and the personality gets formed, shaped. It's almost if you go, if you have a tree, it has some apples on it, it has some seeds on the inside of the apple. That apple tree is created to produce more apples. You've always heard it. The apple don't fall very far from the tree. What it means is, the way your father was, the way you'll be. The way your mother was, the way you'll be. The way your family brought you up, that's the way you're going to be. You're going to be just like them. Why? Because that's what you've learned. And if you try to break out of that family mode, some people of us get named after family members and that's another whole story about names, but that happens. Is that genetics? To be brought up in an environment and then call that, and that's how they solve their problems, yelling, screaming, beating, doing drugs and alcohol, abusing each other, no respect, not cleaning up whatever it is. Is that genetics? What causes hopelessness in us so heavy that we would want to kill ourselves? Where did the hope go to? What part of our soul or forever person lost the light of hope? Where were the friends and the neighbors and the supportive community? How could someone live in front of us and look so happy and have so many problems? That nobody knew about. 
boom, they kill themselves. And it shocks us because wait, is that genetics? Is that all it is? It's just genetics. Is there no hope? What happened if somebody comes along and says, we can change your personality? Okay, so you got some bad thoughts. Okay, so you were abused. And you think bad and you're hurt and you're wounded. But in the survivor's community, they believe in healing. Even from the worst stuff. And they believe that, okay, bad things happen to me. They don't know why. They survived it. And they come out. And they seek healing and wholeness. They get around people with hope and encouragement and loving them. Because they go, I'm not going to stay this way. I don't believe that I have to stay this way. That there's no hope. That there's no healing. So they actually are fighting against the psychiatrist. And they're fighting against the psychologist. And a lot of the mental health counselors should go, we'll give you some new cognitive. That means mental thinking. But you know how long it took to get where somebody is? Going once a week for a few months is not going to do it. I have worked with people for years. And it takes a What happens if somebody has multiple personalities? But you don't know that. What happened if their first drugs, need, their substance abuse needs to be taken care of? And then we need to go through that battle and that struggle before we can even start working on the personality. If you get in substance abuse, you're going to get into the 12 steps and you're going to get to a lot of this stuff that psychiatry don't believe in. They just think it's genes. I heard it on TV down here in Pensacola. And they want to go, it's not a moral issue. It has nothing to do with your morals. What does that mean? See, they're trying to say, it's not the parent's fault. It's not the person's fault. It's not society's fault. It's not what you do. It's not your drugs. It's not your games. It's not what you like. And It's nothing about that. It's pure. You got a bad gene. And we can't fix that. We can give you some medication. And that's about it. And that is what psychiatry and psychology has done. So now I guess they're deciding we need to throw in some positive stuff. Well, unless their heart believes in hope and healing, they just lie to us. They're lying to themselves. They're just covering their butts. Because survivors are saying, I believe in wellness. I believe in recovery. I'm going to come out of this. And I'm not going to let it win me. I may have lost my legs, born with no arms and no legs. I'm going to get married and have kids. I'm not going to let it steal any more of my life. I'm not going to sit and wallow in the sadness and the stuff. I'm going to get busy helping people. Sometimes you have parents who are so upset because their kids didn't come out normal like everybody else. But they don't want to take the blame. Society doesn't want to take the blame for its movies or its games or what it values in life, sports and this and competition. 
and eating, eating, eating. It doesn't want to look at itself and what it's doing. It just wants to blame the biological genes that somehow, some way, that is the problem. So this conference was going to hopefully start talking about that. But I wanted to bring up in this episode for you to start thinking, what is a personality? How is it formed? How does it develop? What are all the factors that come into play to form a personality? Is the personality affected by just genes? Is it affected by family, faith, community, neighborhoods, the foods you eat, what you watch on TV, the people you hang out with, drugs, alcohol, sex before time, abuse, toxic situations? What are all the factors that come together to make up a personality? This is where the psychiatrist and the psychologist and the mental health counselors and licensed professional counselors and life coaches are all working. They are trying to reprogram something in us, redo something in our hardwiring. But the psychiatrist is saying our hardwiring in our brain cannot be changed. And other people are saying, well, we just need to bring in a new download, an update. And the psychiatrist is saying, no, it's just change. You can't do it. It won't work. So now we got a mess. So I wanted to bring this into the mental health and the forever person for you to think about. So before you go seek counseling, ask questions of your psychiatrist. What does he or she believe about what you have? Is there possible healing, support? Uh, What do they believe? They have a personal opinion. What have they studied? What do they believe? Some of them do believe there is hope because they went to a school that believed in that. I want to tell you about a movie I want you to go watch. It's called Patch Adams. Patch was a true doctor, and Robin Williams played him. It's about a guy in West Virginia, and he's going through medical school. He was funny. He'd go in and make the cancer kids laugh. He did con- and just funny. And the medical school wrote him up because he wasn't supposed to do it. He's supposed to be cold and distant, scientific. He's not supposed to love and make the patients feel normal and be happy. They wrote him up for having too much fun. You go watch that movie. Excellent story, true story in West Virginia about Patch Adams. And how he brought hope and laughter and love and hugging into the hospital with the young kids and the patients. Which brings in endorphins in the brain and starts making them feel better. And the doctors and the trainers and medicine didn't like it. Wrote him up. Went on trial. Accused of not being a professional doctor. Supposed to be cold and they're supposed to train all of humanity out of you. You hear it's great. Great story. And he said, well, I'm just sorry. (laughs) It ain't coming out. And he went and started his own clinic to work with the very uh, poor people in West Virginia. 
Patch Adams, True Story, excellent. Robin Williams, go watch it. And you will learn about the medical community and how they train your doctors and your nurses. And if you step outside of that training and try to be a loving, caring, hope-filled doctor that believes in wellness and recovery and you can get healed, may not be through ways that they believe in. Okay? That's where Patch was. Everybody loved him, but not the medical community. Hated it. Go look at it. Why do they think they need to be caught? Well, people do die, but you can help them die. So, excellent music, a movie, true story, Patch Adams, way back when we had those big, thick things. Uh, not DVDs, but before that, can't even remember what the name, big, thick thing. True story. Another story you can go watch about mental health is Patty Duke Austin. She wrote a great book. She was discovered to have schizophrenia after many suicides attempts. Excellent actress. Her children and her family stayed with her. She uh, had to, she kept working, even with schizophrenia and suicide. They loved her. They stayed with her. She changed her diet and changed her work ethic. She did okay. She went on. They stuck with her. I've told you the other story about the psychiatrist working with a lady. It was multi-generational. True story. And you can also look at even the civil story about the psychiatrist loving Sybil, helping her, going beyond what psychiatry says you to do, going beyond outside your walls and your office. And um, what did I say? Sybil, okay, this other lady, she was seeing a psychiatrist, severely abused, had multiple personalities, saw many a psychiatrist charge money, right? Once the money ran out, that was it. Bye. Because they're all about the money. And if that's the only kind of person you got, then you aren't going to get much help. So this one psychiatrist stayed with this lady. And when her insurance ran out, he said, look, you're a human being. And you have issues. And I love you as a human being with problems. And I will stay with you. And you are free to come here and we will talk. You call me anytime you need me. She started healing from all of her horrible abuse. One in the office, who was at home. And like I said, I've told the story. I prayed to God and asked him, what is going on? How could she get healing? There was no prayers. There was no Bible reading, no nothing, you know, because Christianity does believe in that. Uh, he said, it ain't about that. It's the atmosphere, the love between two people. And here was a psychiatrist that loved another human being, wasn't helping her for money, wasn't getting paid for it, but just because he loved her. He said, I can work in that relationship. I'll use that love of that psychiatrist as my foundation to heal her. She wanted healing. She needed love. She needed hope. She needed a connection to somebody who loved her. That could explain things and help her. She felt safe with him. And God said, I can work in that. And when she sleeps at night time, I will bring healing. Because this love between them, of one human for another human, it's called a copy love. It's unconditional. It's not sexual. It's not human. I'll undo 
the bad that was meant to stay bad, I will turn it for good. And he did. Nobody knew it. Nobody knew he was doing it. But it was provided by a copy love. So these psychiatrists and this uh, conference up in Toronto, they're on the right path. So please, if you're out there and you are seeking treatment or counseling, ask some questions of your therapist, your psychiatrist. What do they believe about hope? What do they believe is the cause? And is there any hope? And if you feel like there is that's where they're at, there's no hope, there's no fixing, just take your medication and do the best you can. Maybe you can shop around for another psychiatrist, therapist. If the therapist ain't going to let you call them at home in the middle of the night and be there, find somebody else. Get in a support group. Get on these group discussions on the social media. You know what people are using now? Animals, rescue animals, horses, dogs, cats, every, why? They provide unconditional love, support and encouragement, companionship and connection. Where the psychiatrist does not, because he is disconnected from him or she. The therapist doesn't care either. Been one, know what they're trained. But here's a dog. Or something. Take them on airplanes. They love you. They care about you. They're with you. They're sad with you. There's more healing done from animals than from therapists. And they don't charge anything for it. God will use anything. Excuse me for bringing him into it. But on this video, study, look up on Wikipedia. What is a personality? How is it involved in a mental health issue and disorder? And come again. I'm going to try to do episode 7, I think it is, pretty soon. And get one more on the soul and then get into the forever person. Enjoy. I'll leave it up so you can take some notes. Hope to get it up quickly. Love you. Hope I'm not offending too many of you. Very passionate about this. Been on both sides. See it from both sides all the time. And uh, there is hope. And there are love. And if you have to get it from an animal, then by God, go get an animal. And let healing and recovery and hope and encouragement arise in your heart. And believe that you can overcome and you can return to a balance in your personality peace, love and joy and if it takes a horse a dog, a cat a rabbit, bird it doesn't matter at least they're there and they will help you love always and forever Pastor Deborah